Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Hope you're having a good weekend so far. I'm with you until seven this Saturday morning. After six, I'm in conversation. But first, it's the best of Steve Allen. My weekly roundup of some of the best bits from my early breakfast shows, starting with this. I couldn't believe the news either about uh, John Noakes dying. 83. I Seriously, he was ageless as far as I was concerned. He, um, he never seemed to age. He was one of those television presenters that we grew up with. And I thought he was lovely. I liked all of the Blue Peter people. Seriously, I liked Valerie Single. I liked everybody. Admittedly, Anthea Turner was slightly irritating and Yvette Fielding was very irritating. But uh, the rest of them were OK. They were all OK. It was just it was that they were doing a job. They were doing a job and the job was you're battling against two other presenters on there to make sure that you get the... You had to be a bit action-packed. I noticed that every year, I thought it was something slightly peculiar, if they had a new presenter joining, they would make them do the uh, New Year's Day swim in the serpentine when there was ice on the top so that we could see the Blue Peter presenter in their swimming trunks. Uh, They would have to dive it. Oh, I couldn't believe that they would ever make anybody do that. It was just sheer hell on legs. Uh, Michael Sundin, of course, died... Uh, And the papers made big of that. Michael Sundin, who was gay, he was a trampolinist. He looked the part, but uh, never quite got the recognition that he should have done. And uh, he died. Uh, And now we've lost John Noakes. We've probably lost a few others along the wayside. But uh, most people did very well. And it's still going, as far as I know. Even though I defy anybody to tell me who the presenters are, apart from, I think, there's somebody called Barney. And that's the only one I remember. Is he still there? He must be about 45 now. 37, is he? Blue Peter presenter at 37. He was an instrumentalist. I seem to remember he, he could play keyboards and everything else. And they used to come from the big studio at the BBC Television Centre. Now I think they're practically in a broom cupboard. Great shame. Great shame. Because it's now it's only on the CBBC channel. Isn't that a shame? You know, that programme for years was children's BBC it was and and every year at Christmas they always did the advent crown with the coat hangers and you wrap the tinsel round and put the candles in and they always brought in the chalk farm band and they do a carol and then the middle verse of the carol the band would sort of drop their level and they carry on play but nobody was singing they had all these kids holding lanterns and they walked them all the way up the drive and um, and then they would go well thank you very much indeed for another year thank you to all of you blah blah and then they'd go into the final verse uh, of Hark the Herald Angels Sing or whatever it happened to be. And that was Christmas for us. That was Christmas. So when John Noakes dies at the age of 83, he was, he was part of your life for many, many, many years. We just came to rely on them. And every time they found a new Blue Peter presenter, we all watched with eagerness. It was the programme. There's a great book about it. I think it's on Amazon. And it's the story of Blue Peter. And it's, it's just, it's worth getting just to realise that your childhood was probably formed by that programme. You know, when John Noakes sat on television and cried because Shep had died, and, uh, and when somebody trashed the Blue Peter Garden, and then it turned out to be a celebrity, you know, and that was done on television. But we watched it. It's called Blue Peter, 50th Anniversary, the story of television's longest-running programme. Uh, it came out in 2008... Richard Marson was one of the producers of the of the programme. It's, it's a super, super book. I actually, uh, unfortunately, um, my, my book fell apart. I had a bit of a bit of an incident at home and the book sort of uh, gave up. So I must get another one, actually. It's got everything. Famous guests on there, the badges. Uh, they were also, I think, the first programme, one of the first programmes with Valerie Singleton to follow, um, 
I think it was Princess Anne who went out to treetops and and they did like a, a a Blue Peter meets the Royals kind of thing. And Princess Anne appeared on the programme, I think, on quite a few occasions. And that was it was ground setting, irrespective of whether dreary old Anthea made Tracy Island, you know, and people went. It was the most requested model, the most requested information pack that they had on it. <coughs> it was the cats, though, that ran off the set every time the programme started. They were sitting there. The reason was they pushed an indentation into the cushion, put some food in there, which kept the... The moment the cats had eaten it, they were off. And then they bring out the tortoise, which was Fred, who became Frida, and uh, and the dogs, and they named... We had Bonnie and Shep and... I can't remember the names of the other dogs. <laughs> they had quite a few. And every time they'd have a litter in and you would pick it out. And it was, you know, John Noakes was enthusiastic. Like all of them on there, you didn't get the feeling that you were watching a, a scripted program in any way, shape, or form. But the pet, the first dog was was Petra. They've had dogs, cats, tortoises. They had a at one point they had horses, Joe and Simon. Uh, Iggy was a trainee guide dog puppy. Rags they had as well. Um, when Barney, who was a blue-fronted Amazon, died, he was not replaced. A lot of uh, the dogs on the programme went to live with the presenters and then accompanied them on filming assignments. I mean, seriously, it was, it was, it was a groundbreaking programme. And, um, and their, their appeals to raise money to get water in certain countries... We still haven't sorted out that problem. And that's been going since the 1980s, trying to get water into certain countries. You still see the adverts. I said the other day... But, uh, you know, John Noakes, he makes the front pages because we felt for him. And when he got uh, Alzheimer's and he wandered off in Spain, we, we felt for him. When he was found again, we all kind of breathed a sigh of relief because I felt like we should look after him. His family, of course, will miss him desperately. But as they've said, uh, he was not in a good place with his Alzheimer's. And uh, when you've been an action man, it was that haircut, though, wasn't it? It was, it was just totally John Noakes. He was the Blue Peter legend. He did do all the daft things that we thought... He'll never do that. And he did. And he never he never complained about it. I don't think anybody ever complained privately. They might have complained left, right and centre. But when you look at uh, pictures of him with Shep and when Shep died, he was on. I'm sure it was Terry Wogan's show that um, he he broke down and said that he'd uh, he died. And, And you think that's how close he was. That's how that's, you know, when people say about animal lovers and you talk about dogs and cats and budgies and all the rest of it. And people get very close. And he was close to Shep because we like Shep. I like Goldie as well. I think I thought Goldie was a nice dog. But there again, you see, we didn't have a pet at the time. So the Blue Peter pet became our pet. So I'm delighted that uh, that John gets the coverage in the papers, which he deserves for being a super presenter. I don't think we ever read anything scandalous about him because in those days people didn't write things about the uh, the people on the television. This is LBC with Steve Allen. This particular night owl, Steve, is uh, saying I was locked into the In Conversation you did with James O'Brien. Yes, I mean, we got some really good feedback on that. I think people, it seems to work for us. It seems to work. There was no hesitation in who was going to do the interview with me. And uh, how can I watch it, says uh, Dali. It's on the LBC website. I think it comes under podcast, does it? Click on the videos page and you'll find it on there. Yes, you might have to scroll down because there's been quite a few videos since my little effort. Is it not easy? It was easy the other day. It was on the front page. And now it's moved on to the inside. Hunt, hunt around and you will, you, you will find it. 
don't know if there's a search bar on there. Is there a search? No, there's not. Oh, there you go. You'll have to you'll have to hunt around and find it. Or failing that, get somebody uh, get somebody else uh, to uh, to let you have it, which is easier. Uh, Steve, could Auntie need cover for you when you uh, go for your heart things? Yeah, we're only going for the um, angiogram tomorrow. That's forty five minutes, but and quite late actually as well, quite late. And then, is he coming in? She's coming in to do a demo. Loads of people doing demos at the moment. I mean, seriously. It's open season. Open season. Love the uh, in, uh, in conversation. Got very emotional when talking about staff who passed away. I do, because I work with these people. And, you know, when you've, when you've been in a place for a long time, and they had a thing. I, I got there, because I did the first one. Uh, Zora Suleiman went to that one as well. This was on uh, Millbank. It was on uh, one of the towers at Millbank. And that was all sort of modern-day people at LBC. And then I went to the old one, which was all the people from Gough Square days. And it was amazing how many people were, were alive. Again, there were a lot of white-haired men and women. And they were the people I worked with a long time ago. I wasn't sure whether people look at me and go, my God, he's aged. But then we had this sort of footage of, of Gough Square and what it looked like uh, when we moved in, what it looked like when we moved out. And um, and it was just... And then the building's gone now. It's completely gone. There used to be a plaque on the wall. There used to be a blue plaque and it's gone, which said that was the home of independent radio news and uh, the first commercial radio station LBC. And it went. So somebody somewhere has got that plaque. It was a round blue one on the wall. And then they showed us this film of all the people who've, um, who've passed on. And it was a cast list. It was like a who's who. All the people used to work with. All the people used to work with. There were so many of them. And the list gets bigger. The list gets bigger. Although my friend Paul the other day said, were you talking about an LBC reunion? And uh, the person who contacted him got the wrong end of the stick. I was talking about that reunion of LBC, not, not any new reunions for LBC people. But people do keep in contact. People do um, you know, keep up to date with what other people are doing. And so I'll sort of say to Chris Lowry, used to be weather weatherman, or Steve, his other half, and I'll say, whatever happened to so-and-so? They go, actually, they, they died. You go, oh, dear. I remember losing a producer, Roger Beale, who was a producer of mine for years. In fact, I've lost a few producers. And Roger Beale, he was white-haired when I worked with him. But uh, he was sort of one of those people. He was, he was very laid-back, Roger, very, very laid-back. And somebody said to me, oh, he, he passed away. And I went, oh, dear, it just doesn't... It, they don't seem old enough. To me, they really don't. To me, it just doesn't seem like that. It's like when somebody, you know, they were doing the Goodbye Mr. Chips film. And at the end of his life, you know, they're going, oh, poor old Chips. He never had any children over his bed. and He's lying there dying. And he goes, what? What's that? And they said, we were saying you never had any children. He said, but I did. All boys. Because and that was when he died. And it was because he'd lost his wife in an air raid. And, and when I see all the people that I used to work with, that's what it's like. You'll do exactly the same as you get through your life. When you're, when you're young, it doesn't matter. But then, you know, people move around in this business. But it's a, it's a small business. It, it really is quite small. There'll be somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. And you go, oh, yeah, whoa, you know them, do you? And then you all of a sudden have something in common with people. And it's very interesting. Of course, because I've been here since God created heaven and earth, you know, I know more people than most and I seem to have outlived them, surprisingly. Believe you me. Nobody is more surprised than me when I sort of get through and I think, well, I'm still going. Still going. Still still vaguely compass mentors. This is LBC with Steve Allen. The fair way to keep healthy. The cue there is fair way. It's golf. I always thought that was for people who were retiring. 
You know, you sort of you go out there and people sort of wonder, la, 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 la. Hit the ball from here. I don't even understand, you know, it's a birdie, an eagle. I don't know, understand, you know, par under. It's just boring and dull. They wear boring clothes, boring, you know, stay-pressed farrow trousers and, you know, jumpers. Why it's got to be that kind of gear, I don't know. You know, why not just go around in swimwear? And then they go, this person's earned a fortune. It was Tiger Woods who made a fortune from golf. I mean, serious amount of money. Serious amount of money out there. You think, you've only got to hit the ball from here into a hole over there. Well, easy peasy, hello. I could do that blindfolded. And the cameraman, you can see them sitting there, having a drink, going, OK, he's hit the ball. Where, where do you move the camera? I'll just move it up in the air. The public could sit there and go, where's, where? But then they just bring it down again when you see the thing hit the ground. Nobody ever knows that the cameraman can't see the ball in the same way that we can't. So, so when they go, and he's uh, hit the ball, and, a and, then the, and then the camera automatically goes into the air, and I'm sitting there thinking, where the bloody hell's the ball gone? It's just polite applause, whatever happens. And also, who are the boring people who go and watch golf? What are they stammering? Yeah. That's probably what Kim Jong-un's doing, isn't it? He's really watching golf. Little short, fat bloke with silly hair. Can't he just claps like that for golf? But you get people standing around there. And then you've got the caddies. And the caddies are just as important, I think, as the... Uh... Why does Diane Abbott close her eyes when she's talking about it? Is it because she's thinking? She does it a lot now, I've noticed. Her eyes spend a lot of time more closed than open. Oh, is this golf? Yeah, you see, look, when... This this was... This is um, uh, Norren shooting a record 62 to win. Now, I don't know what 62... Is that 62 shots to get to this place? Oh, right, OK. <laughs> Only 18 holes, so it's taken him 62 shots. Amateur. 60... Well, it should be 18 holes, isn't it? So he, he, he hits the ball into the hole. OK, he... And it falls in. But that's the whole idea of it. That's what he's supposed to be doing. So he shot a record 62 to win at Wentworth. And he's probably earned a lot of money. I, would th- I don't know how much it pays. And you think... And there's all these people standing round there. And then people go... They're all butch, aren't they? But everybody's logoed up. Everybody's logoed up with all their sponsors and everything else. You know, this is sponsored by, you know, one car company and everything else. And they give them this thing. He goes, yeah, great. And you think, you are the most boring person under the sun, and even more boring. They can't get it in this hole. I mean, how big does the hole need to be? And, they, and they, these are supposed to be experts. And they go, no, didn't get it in there at all. But it comes up to the last one. And, and we got one where he's sort of hitting it up in the air. And the camera sort of follows it. Because that's always... Oh, here we go. This is going to be a big shot here. This is Norrin. Here we go. And he's going to hit the ball now. Now, as you can tell on this shot, if you're watching... Uh, the cameraman has managed to find it, but I think that was pre-recorded earlier. I think that's a different ball completely. And then it goes in the rough. Now, the rough is either the sand pit or something else. Well, why not take that out of the equation? I just have it grassed. So you don't need to worry about it going into the rough or in the sand pit. That's just stupid. You know, or put a windmill there. And if you get it through the windmill and knock it around to four or something, it's this sort of, it's these, they have to stand there and tap it in, and it goes in the hole. But that was the objective. Ball in a... But all these people, they can't see this. These people standing there, I mean, what have you got, superhuman eyes or something? It's like... And the commentators always whisper, don't they? Mind you, I think, don't think commentators are weird anyway. And, you know, and you get them for, for cricket. He's coming up here, and uh, the bowler's holding the batsman's willy, and he's... And so, so we get all of that kind of stuff, and they whisper it. You think, they can't hear you. 
They can't hear. They're out on the pitch. You're in the in the commentary box eating cakes and swilling back ginger beer and stuff like that. But footballer, they get very excited. Isn't it funny, though? Actually, all sports reporters, they really are, unlike reporters, per se, who can cover any one of a number of things, sports reporters only can talk about football. They ser- they can't talk about anything else at all. They can only- And they get very excited. Very, very excited. I mean, I, I can get excited about certain things, but football isn't isn't one of them. But they do that because they're interested in it. I've known lots and lots and lots of sports reporters over the years. Uh, and tennis reporters and things like that. And it's because they love what they do that they get overexcited. With Simon Conway of the FA Cup. Did he go there for us? Good look. He can't have seen much, can he? What was, he? was he very excited? <laughs> Bless his heart. Is that Simon Conway who was Simon Cowell? Right. <laughs> A dual personality, I think. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, actually. There's nothing funny about it. I've done it twice now. And each time I've had to apologise to him. Oh, look. Oh, bless him, honestly. He's engaged now, isn't he? It's another one been taken off the shelf in the office. We're all getting a bit excited by this. Only about 17 more to go. But uh, you know, gradually we'll, we'll sort of get them all married off and all the rest of it. How old is he? He's an indeterminate age, isn't he? He's very indeterminate. I, I, I could have put him down. I mean, the newsreader we had the other day, Tom, he's, he was 24, he told me. Well, I wouldn't have known he was 24. Seriously, I thought he was about 18. And Simon, sorry to discuss the poor boy when he's not here to defend himself, but, I mean, I thought he was probably about 26, something like that. We don't, we don't know, do we? We've got no idea. <laughs> but they go and talk about... You see, I wouldn't know because I don't know any of these footballers. I suppose you look at the number on their back, that identifies them, doesn't it? And then you go, oh, right, that's one. Oh, and he's got all the bits about Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aren't they called the Gunners? Yeah. God, look at me knowing this stuff. I wish I hadn't told you that, because now I get it people writing me to sort of give my sort of uh, opinions on different things. But uh, football did stand together, did a minute silence. Uh, the, it's packed, isn't it? You wouldn't want to sit at the top. If you sat at the top, I'd be seriously going, I think I'm going to be sick. That's way too high, way too high. We have rugby, and I've never been to rugby either. Oh, lots of pyrotechnics. That's nice, isn't it? I like that. But again, it's just a lot of overpaid people kicking a leather football into a big goal. That's all it is. Nothing clever about it. You either can do it or you can't, and most of them can't. So, you know, and the fans go, yeah, yeah, and then start abusing the referee. Referee out, referee out, and all that kind of stuff. It's quite an abusive game, isn't it, really? But uh, then you get police officers taking pictures of people. Criminals, mainly. And uh, and this is this him taking all these pictures? Is he take, oh, bless him, honestly. <laughs> He have to take he have to take one actually near near the hot dog wagon, so, <laughs> and these people are queuing up for what the toilet probably, they're queuing up for oh right for security good, good I like to see that I'd like to see more of it everywhere everywhere seriously anyway listen I've got to take a break because I missed it so I'm getting a bit carried away talking about Simon Cowell reading the news for us today which isn't the Simon Cowell you know it's really Simon Conway but he dresses up for it okay let's get get the drift. Dave says, I don't get golf. People dressed in trendy wear, following golfers with their sticks, trying to get a ball in a hole. And uh, when you said rough, I thought there was a carry-on joke coming on. I know. Yeah. Ooh, missus. Everything had the ooh, missus besides it, didn't it? I love it. Steve Allen on LBC. Why the Bayer Tapestry isn't. Presumably most of you have heard of the Bayer Tapestry. It's supposed to depict... The Battle of Hastings, 1066, and it's over there in Bayeux. And I mentioned it to the producer this morning. And he's been over there and seen it, because uh, he parlez-vous francais, 
and it's in Normandy, or Normandy, and uh, which is famous for cheese. I think Normandy. I seem to remember saying and D Day, the, the landings. But uh, but they they've got the Bayeux tapestry. Why I can't imagine because it was not made in Bayeux. It was made in England, and it's not a tapestry at all. It's an embroidery. An embroidery is completely different. I have a tapestry at home, made in I don't know where it's made, but it's uh, it, it's a tapestry. They look completely different. This is embroidery work. Somebody has embroidered. You know, the figures on there and done everything. It's huge, but it was made in this country. Made by Saxon seamstresses over there. Why it ended up in Bayeux, I can't imagine. Because the Normans won. Oh, right. Oh. oh, let's go take it back. Let's start another war. Let's go and... We want our embroidery back, please. Where would we put it, though? It's huge, isn't it? It's very big. It goes all the way around a room, I think. I've never seen... I've seen the pictures. Obviously, the, the images are very... Uh, very much to the to the fore in my mind. Do they have anything like that in Australia? Do they have sort of like the Brisbane tapestry? The the Brisbane crayoning in or something like that? I can't imagine they'd have anything like that. I've seen Aboriginal art over there. I quite like the uh, the T-shirts and stuff like that. But they don't kind of make T-shirts in my size. Well, they probably do, but I mean, that's a lot of paint on a T-shirt. I quite like Ayers Rock done in uh, fibre optic lighting. So it changes colour. <laughs> I've got a T-shirt that lights up, actually, at home. A friend of mine used to forbid me to wear it when I was going out because I'd walk through Leicester Square with it on and everybody would look at it because it was all sort of... And I saw a brilliant leather jacket once and the back of the leather jacket was Warner Brothers logo in fibre-optic lighting. You had a little battery pack in your pocket. Would you never wear that? God, I thought it was brilliant. It was only about 1,500 quid, but I didn't have 1,500 quid. And now I've got it, they don't make them anymore. But I'd have loved to have had it. I'd have worn that going out to all sorts of people would be looking at it being really quite envious. I quite want one of those ceilings in my car, the roof, where it becomes a twilight ceiling. So you, you sort of, you know, when you say you lay on your back and look at the stars. <laughs> doing my place. It's, uh, it's a case of. <laughs> no, you do. Seriously, if I cut a hole in the roof, you could see the stars quite clearly. But uh, in, in some of the Rolls Royces, they've got this fibre optic ceiling. I don't care. It's Friday. <laughs> What are they going to do? Steve Allen on LBC. The wee stopping at Waterloo. How many times do you get on a train and you think, oh, God, I need the toilet. Oh, God, I need the toilet. And you go there, uh, and it's, uh, sorry, toilet uh, broken. It doesn't say broken, does it? It says out of order. That's right, out of order. Oh, God, I need a wee. And then uh, you have to go a little bit further. And, of course, it, the, the doors won't open or anything else. Some of them, they don't have the lock on it. But if it's the automatic slidey door, because I love it. My favourite thing is when you see somebody, oh, toilet, and they rush in there and they push the thing and the door closes, but they don't know you have to pull the handle down and push the button to lock it. So I always open the door again. <laughs> it's amazing. Somebody's sitting there with their knickers around their ankles, you know, going, wow! Always provides endless amusement. But, um, and so coming into Waterloo, and it does seem to be on that particular line, I don't know why, uh, people have been weeing in bottles. Well... To be honest with you, where were they winging it in bottles? You know, you can't just sort of whack it out and pop it in a bottle, can you? I mean, lucky to fit it into the top of a bottle, as if you ask me. But I mean, a sort of, and then they were sort of, and you think, because the toilets were out of order. They shouldn't be out of order. They should be working. Leading Britain's conversation, LBC, with Steve Allen. There is a jilted bride-to-be. She's put her engagement ring on eBay after claiming to have turned her fiancé gay. What do you mean, turned him gay? She put the uh, ring with a diamond the size of Gibraltar. I'm surprised she could lift her hand up. Um, because her fella left her for his best mate. The 27-year-old 
said her fiancé started enjoying wild night outs with his pal Brad. I mean, come on, anybody called Brad gay immediately. It's such a gay name. What's your name? Brad. Gay. There you go. They should have been planning the wedding. She said she later found women's clothing among his belongings. Oh, he's a cross-dresser, dear. Cross-dresser doesn't mean he's gay. The ring's listing reminds me of my failing to grow a willy, she says, so I'd like to sell it so I can start my life again. There were bids of 5,000 and it was taken down. I don't quite understand that one, but never mind. But, I mean, you can't make somebody gay, unless they've got enough wool and the needles. But uh, then you can sort of niche yourself one. But you can't... um, It was like... What was that... um, that great joke from years ago, which was Cosmopolitan magazine tells women how to have an orgasm. Woman's own tells you how to knit one. You know, it's as, it's it's that far apart. The magazines now are all to do with, do you have a great sex life? And the more insecure you feel about it, the worse it gets. You know, are, are you having sex on a regular basis? I mean, have you heard the LBC sex out? I mean, seriously, honestly. I have to put my fingers in my ears and la-la for the duration of the programme. It's absolutely unbelievable. The things that they talk about, quite openly, quite openly. You know, the sort of things I wouldn't even discuss with my postman. And we'll talk about most things. I mean, absolutely, the, the stuff you get away with now. Years ago, I knew people who worked for the uh, for Young People's magazine. And they, they said that the big problem young people had was sex. I thought I had loads of problems when I was a young person with sex. Finding it was the main problem. But uh, And then you get to be older and then all of a sudden you're way too old for it anyway. And you just kind of give up. And so you, you don't sort of bother about it anyway. It's far too, it's overrated. I must say, it must be. There's people doing things on this sex programme they've got on LBC. That, I mean, seriously, you'd have to sort of blindfold the donkeys and the cows and the cats and everything else because they'd be horrified. The cats going around saying, you wouldn't believe what went on in our house last night. And other cats going, what went on? And they went, you're joking. No, no, no. Heard it on the radio. Heard it on LBC. Lucy Beresford. She tells people how... Leaping on the wardrobe was so passé. So last year. Nobody leaps on the wardrobe. They can't make it onto the wardrobe. They just sort of smoke dodgy cigarettes. The next thing, they imagine they're Robin Hood and Maid Marian. Which is a bit odd, because he looked ridiculous as Maid Marian. But anyway, they have to go for it, don't they? Steve Allen on LBC. Just for the excitement of certain people in this building, the waitress makes a comeback. Yes, the Orlando Bloom one-night stand waitress, who apparently was pictured sitting in a park. You know what that means? She's going to be bringing out a DVD. She's only been in the country two months. She works fast, I tell you. Already she's had a one-night stand with Orlando Bloom and got herself fired from Chilton Firehouse. <laughs> Not bad going, love. Not bad going. Where'd you go from here? Hopefully, back to Romania. I don't know why she came from Romania. She's not, is she Romanian? I don't, I'm not sure if she is Romanian. Oh, she is. She's been checked out already. Aussie blokes checked her out. She's like a bit fit. And uh, it turns out that uh, she was waving to her fan. You're not impressed? Really? Uh, you're very fickle with your affections, aren't you? I've discovered the sort of type you go for are sort of the over-made-up blousy types with boobies hanging out all over the place and they've had a job as a waitress in a cocktail bar or something like that. Sorry? That's not defamatory. Really? I'll tell you what, I'm going to play you back some of the conversations we've had in here, mate. I can run through the sort of girls you go for. Do you know what her name is? Do you know what her name is? You fibber, you know exactly what her name is. It's Viviana, isn't it? Viviana. Are you, are you trying to put it together with your name to see whether it looks good on a, on a marriage certificate? <laughs> Who is she? She's a nobody. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, you've got something in common with her. She's an aspiring Irish-Romanian actress. Of course she is. She's slept with Orlando Bloom. That's what all actresses do, isn't it, nowadays? Get yourself known. And uh, she was born in Dublin. She's one of your own. 
in Dublin's fairest city, where the girls are so pretty. She was born in Dublin. Look at that. Does she know you've got dual... Po- oh, I tell you, we're sorting this one out here. How did she meet him? She uh, she probably leant over the table, I should imagine. But uh, she's 21 and he's... he's Who's 40? 40, Orlando Bloom's 40. Yeah, but he's Orlando Bloom. He's famous. She's a nobody. But uh, she lived for six years until she moved. Hey, she's trilingual. Woo! You know what that means, don't you? She can have sex in three different languages. Isn't that fantastic? How do people do that? How do they do that? She said there was an electricity. Of course there was. She slept with him on the first night. and just met him. Fantastic, isn't it? That's how. You need to read my book. I didn't mention. I've got a book out called So You Want to Be a Celebrity. And it's fame by association. So she now becomes famous, but she's just a waitress. But now, of course, she's not just a waitress. She's an actress. She's a budding actress. And she said it was like fireworks going off between them. In the room, they had a gin and tonic. Then they started kissing. Woo! God, she's not difficult, is she? And uh, they chatted, and he said, do you want to join me in the room for a drink? <laughs> yeah. Do you think he meant that? Or he meant, hey, coming back? And she went, how are you? And, uh, and off she went back there. Didn't take very much, did it? Apparently it was a one-night fling. Neither of them expected anything to come of it. Well, she blooming well did. She's an actress. Of course she did. She's looking for a bit of fame. That's what she's doing. Sleep with somebody. It was an amazing night with incredible sex that Viviana wanted to be a good memory. Oh, God, you've got a reputation already, love. Not sure if the Australian boy's as, as keen as he is, you know, when he first saw you. Now you know that she's from Dublin's fair city. Do you think she knows Molly Malone? Used to wheel her wheelbarrow through those streets broad and narrow. Doing cockles and muscles and stuff like that. I mean, she wasn't exactly difficult to pull, was she? You know, would you like to come back for a drink to my hotel bedroom? Yeah. <laughs> Off she goes. Apparently, Vivian wasn't working when she went back to the room. I bet she did when the door closed. <laughs> I bet she had to work on that one. But uh, they've had all sorts of people. Uh, the Chiltern Firehouse, you know, have had various people there. who have been a couple of times. Not really many times. It's just another place. All, all the, the, the decent places that have celebrities don't, uh, don't bother to tell you they have celebrities because that's cheap and tacky. But uh, anyway, so he actually closed the door, I think because a general manager uh, came into suite and found her naked in the bed. It's a bit odd, isn't it? You know, the general manager popped in and went into the bedroom. What sort of person is that? But anyway, they then fired her. And uh, uh, she wasn't working when she went back to the room. It was in her own personal time. It's a shame, somebody says, because she's very hard-working. And she was well-liked. She certainly was by Orlando Bloom. <laughs> he liked her a lot, but only for a one-night stand. But then, and here is the odd thing, he goes back to the Chiltern Firehouse and goes, have you got her phone number? And they hand over her phone number. What sort of place is that? Where you hand over somebody? It's like somebody phoning up here and going to my producer. Can I have Steve Allen's phone number? And him going, oh, yeah, hold on a second, I get it. And the address, <laughs> as if. Um, I don't think you're supposed to do that, no. I don't, I, well, I don't think you're supposed to do it, I don't know. I hand out everybody. I've got the Aussie producer's phone number, I've got your phone number. I've got all the people I work I haven't got Matt Stadlin's phone number. He's probably got mine, I should imagine. But uh, I don't have his phone number. <laughs> have you noticed the dawn chorus every morning now gets louder and louder? I did that because Matt likes birds. Lily's one of them. But anyway, I, um, no, he does. He, he likes, uh, he, he goes out twitching. I think that's what they call it. It's twitching, is it? Where you go out and you, I don't, I don't quite get it. 
I'm trying to be, you know, nice about it because I've, I've never been a twitcher. Mind you, I don't understand people who want to take numbers of cars and trains and everything else like that. But he, uh, he sort of goes out different countries and you see different birds. Uh, at the moment, he's got uh, a lovely picture. He was doing it yesterday. It's a snow bunting perched atop a camper van. And, uh, I mean, who, who, who can deny the snow buntings equal rights in this country? And uh, he's also got pictures of some Canada geese. You're welcome to those, the mess they make. And he obviously went out into the countryside and took pictures of birds. You know, which is... Uh, like... <laughs> I love it. It's quite... It's very, very sort of pretty pictures. But, you know, a bird on the wing... It's not really that exciting for me. I can't. I can't really get that excited about it. I'd like to, but it just they just poo and wee everywhere, don't they? They don't actually do anything else. Birds. They don't sort of serve any useful purpose. But um, but the snow bunting, as I say, in itself, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, is a picture to savour. I think for the, but he's got loads of pictures of uh, birds. And then he went. Is that in Iceland? Is there, they got ice in Iceland. I know it seems a bit silly. Are they really at this time of year? Good Lord. But he was there. He was photographing the, the Glacier Lagoon. Isn't it funny? Some people love taking photographs. And so this is the Glacier Lagoon. And they've actually got ice in Iceland. It's on the south coast of Iceland. Perhaps he could go with, with Darren. They both love Iceland. I think, actually, the difference is Darren doesn't really go for birds, does he? I think if you get the gist of it, when you listen to the programme, I don't think he goes for birds. I think he's actually more sort of sort of the other side. You know, perhaps the northeast bit of Iceland, which has got people in it. You know, <laughs> small wonder people listen to this programme. I'm going home to listen to it myself, actually, I've decided. Uh, one here who says, uh, say what you like about Matty Boy, but he knows how to work that camera. Oh, he gets some very good pictures. I wouldn't decry anybody's pictures. I'm always envious of anybody who can take good pictures. I've got a friend of mine who's a photographer and uh, and also takes brilliant pictures. That uh, Matt takes these pictures. He's obviously obsessed with it. It's obviously his his hobby, I suppose. It's just that for most people, they go, you take pictures of birds. And you go, yeah. And that, that reminded me, there was a, a, a scene in a in a film. And I think it was Carry On uh, At Your Convenience. Go, Carry On Regardless. Where they all went out from the Helping Hands agency and they sent uh, poor old Charles Hawtrey off to a place where he thought he was looking after birds in cages, and it turned out to be they wanted him as a, th- a chucker-outer in a strip club in Soho, and all the and he said, oh, I'd love to see some of your birds. And the manager went, yeah, all right, well, you know, you're just here to do a job. I mean, but where, where are they from? He said, well, we've got a girl from Ghana and something. We got, no, we didn't say a girl. He said, we, we, we've got a, a bird from Ghana. Oh, lovely. What sort of feathers has, has that one got? And all this kind of thing. And then, of course, he suddenly realised he was in the wrong place. And he said, oh, could, could I bring my mother here? And the bloke said, bring who you like. And he looked through the door. There was obviously somebody stripping on stage. He went, oh, I definitely couldn't bring my mother here. Definitely couldn't. So they used to get very, uh, very confused. Steve Allen on LBC. Aussie boy, when your mother was over, did you, uh, did you take her out for a bit of a, bit of a Kaylee? Did you? Did you take her out for a little bit of a barn dance? <laughs> it's so funny, actually. I don't know how she, she whizzes. You know, she whizzes faster across the Atlantic. Than, uh, than the time machine, I think, from Doctor Who. She is so fast. One minute she's here, the next minute she's back in Australia again. How does that happen, ladies and gentlemen? I'm looking forward to you posting holiday pictures. That'd be nice. Do you not do pictures? A, a friend of mine, he's in Austria. He's, he's British. His other half's Austrian. They take pictures 
all the time. I mean, literally, they go away on holiday. There'll be hundreds... In fact, they actually have a photo album of their particular holiday for that year. And I thought Australians did the same thing. I thought the whole idea was, if you're Australian, you know, you want to show all your yeah, sort of bezzy mates back home, you know, this is what I'm getting up to at the moment. Do you not do that? I mean, I, I have to be honest, I don't do it either. Uh, but I wish I did. I wish I had at the end of each year, um, like a, a photo montage of what you've done that year. I've got fr- friends of mine, one in Manchester... And one in London, and they, they do photographs of everything. You know, people they've met. I mean, I have pictures taken with the people I talk to, but I don't, I don't have them at home. Well, not, I have got a few. I've got a, a nice picture of me and Victoria Beckham at home, you know, as you do have, because we're busy mates. And uh, I've got a picture of me and, me and Dave Beckham, and I've got a picture of me with uh, various celebrities, you know, uh, also, you'd love it. I did a I did a, a show once many years ago, an, an outside broadcast, I think they're called, an OB. And, and I did it from a lingerie shop. <laughs> you'd have loved it. Seriously, I had to sit in a lingerie shop uh, doing my programme, which is lingerie, bras, pants, things like that. And they had models to explain what it is to them. They might call it something different over there. And I had models walking backwards and forwards in front of me while I was broadcasting. You'd have loved that. I've got pictures of me with the, with the models. They are lingerie models. Uh, absolutely. I was trying to do a programme. It was very distracting. You know, people wearing sarongs and then taking the sarong off and then just wearing sort of bras and knickers and stuff like that. And I had pictures taken. Mainly, I think, for my own peace of mind. <laughs> and I've got them framed. And they're in the sitting room. And if I really want to depress myself on odd occasions, I look at them and reminisce on how it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny though when somebody said what well, you did a whole show in a in a bra shop I said yeah absolutely absolutely I'm not proud heavens above I quite enjoyed it it was all good fun we had people stopping outside the window of the shop peering in as I'm sitting there surrounded by cables and microphones and everything else Steve Allen on LBC who's this oh god this is Prince Harry's former flame Camilla Thurlow I mean when they say former flame I'd never heard of her before who is she? I mean, when does she go out with him? She's a bomb disposal expert. And um, also he went out with Caroline Flack. I mean, I don't, I'm a little bit embarrassed, actually, by not only Caroline Flack, whose career has actually been built on this. Uh, Camilla, who comes from Dumfries, works in explosive ordnance disposal, said she's lucky to have an interesting career. Well, a bit desperate, aren't you, dear? A little bit desperate. She says, uh, uh, it's taken me all over the world... And I have a lot of great experiences. I don't know if that makes me different. No, it just makes you sad. Very, very sad and tragic. Wait a minute. When did she go out with Harry? When, when was it that she went out with Harry? Because, you know, she, she, she's trading on it. Like Caroline Flack. I reckon if you actually said to Prince Harry, do you remember uh, Caroline Flack? And he'll go, no. But she's always saying she went out with me. Because, you know, if all these girls who had fame by association went out with him... Um, you know, he he would be a very tired bunny. Very tired bunny. Uh, Caroline Flack, as I say, has just made a career out of it. But uh, if you actually look at it properly and uh, and you sort of you think to yourself, you know, was it really a relationship or was she a one night stand? You know, we don't know. It's It's very difficult to find out. Camilla, fine. And, you know, she says here, if somebody asks me a question, I'll tell them. I mean, really, I think you're in the wrong programme, love. I think you've obviously got no class whatsoever. She's worked in landmine removal. She says, it's a small world. I'm excited to meet Caroline. She's a great role model. Are you mad? Caroline Flack. It's a gr- How does that work? Great role model. 
If there's a handsome redhead on Love Island, I'd be up for it. Oh, God. Because you remember Zara Holland, who embarrassed everybody by sleeping with somebody on television. She said, I'd even consider a romance with another girl. Is it? Oh, my God. <laughs> Is the matter with these people? You are a bit desperate, aren't you, love? Mind you, if that's all you can find. She says, I was among a majority who felt sorry for Zara and empathised. <sighs> I'm sorry, dear. You really are. You're, you're way down off the scale now, I'm afraid. Camilla's romance with Harry emerged in 2014 when the pair were spotted kissing at the London nightclub Tonteria. Never even heard of it. Or Tonteria. Which sounds like Ristorante Tonteria, doesn't it? You know. But um, so they were spotted kissing. And that, that was it, was it? That was your claim to fame. You milked it ever since. She says, I was in a place where I knew exactly what I wanted to do work wise. I think you're tragic tragic but there you go that's how we'll all judge you because if the best gig you can get is love island you know then it's a bit sad and tragic because it's those sort of people it's a bit like going on that take me out show you know it's pretty desperate because you can't find anybody to go out with you know it's desperate when the celebrity is it come dine with me program they're, they're looking for dating celebrity dating they managed to get the uh, the gay boy from towie that's uh, the one who looks like Ming the Merciless. Bobby Connorris, got a boyfriend. No, no boyfriend. Used to go out with, uh, with Harry, other gay boy in the village. And that finished. Now they're both, like, with nobody. And um, so he's going on there. And then they, they've dragged up Callum Best. Career, something shoved on his head, resembling a shredded wheat or a dead hamster. And, um, and he's finished with his girlfriend so he can go on the programme. Because he's got a girlfriend. He had a girlfriend when he went in the Big Brother house. So it's just lies after lies after lies, isn't it? Uh, the beauty queen. Who is this one? Is this, is this, this is the one he went out with? Oh, she's a beauty queen as well. Oh, no end to your talents, dear. And she was Miss Earth Edinburgh. That means somebody said, where in God's name do they dig you up from, dear? That's quite, it's clearly it, isn't it? What a shame, really. What, what do you do? You, you just sort of, you put a bikini on. And that's your career, is it? My God. I love the way they laughingly think it's a career. Caroline Flack, as I say, truly a dreadful presenter. On the television. I mean, absolutely. I mean, then you look at the people on it and you go, I mean, the boys. Slightly gay look, isn't it, really? I think for many of them, the little toned body. Stephen Millman like half of these people on here. He would definitely go, wouldn't you, Stephen? You'd definitely go for these ones. But uh, And then there's one. They're all wearing sort of shorts, which you know, no self-respecting person would ever wear. They're obviously all around the 22 mark. 22, 23. And the programme appeals to people who want to watch bimbos and himbos behaving badly. You know, people who can barely string two words together and they put them up on the uh, on the television. Uh, I saw the trailer for Love Island, says Lee. They should change the title to Hateful Nobody's Dumped on a Rock. More than six people would watch it then. Yeah, I mean, I just don't... I mean, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't, doesn't sit with me at all. I couldn't care less. I find it immensely sad that your entire career is based on who you've slept with on an island... Is that tragic? Why don't they call it Hookers Are Us or something like that? Because that's all it is. It's just, it's, it's pathetic to watch. But then all these people think that, uh, that they're really, really interesting. And you think, no, you're not. Actually, you're, seriously, you're really not very interesting. Uh, Harry's got the best excuse when ditching a one-night stand. Uh, don't call me, I'll call you. Royal protection, blah, blah, blah. And uh, then he just tells something, don't ever let them in again. You know, and that's it. because otherwise he would be friendly with these people. But I shouldn't imagine, if you said to him, Caroline Flack, he'd probably go, who? You go, OK, now the one who's going to Love Island, he'll go, who? So they shared a kiss. He's probably kissed loads of people. He went to Vegas with people. Even I can't remember who he's with over there. Steve Allen on LBC.
is it too much for Amanda Holden to show half her bosom off? I don't think it makes any difference. I'm sure that somebody must have said to her, do you not think you're showing too much cleavage? In fact, actually, to be honest with you, she's showing quite a bit of cleavage. But then it, it doesn't really matter. They say it's, um, you know, it's, it's strippings. You know, people have complained she looks like a stripper. I don't know whether... Of course, I always worry about that. How do you know that's what strippers look like? Because you've obviously been to strip bars, and that's what they look like. She doesn't look like a stripper at all. She looks... Yes, all these sort of people complaining about this have been the people watching Love Island and wondering why nobody's bonked in the first sort of two hours or something like that. Because it really is. It's great. They, uh, um, it's Caroline Flack was sort of saying, oh, it's going to be the, the sexiest ever. Unfortunately, not with Caroline Flack. But, you know, there'll be other people on there. One of Prince, um, Prince Harry's ex-girlfriend. The, the, the people want girl-on-girl action. I mean, I can promise you that on this programme before seven o'clock, I'm going to be having girl-on-girl action, ladies and gentlemen. Can you imagine if you did that on the radio and go, actually, Steve Allen just promised us girl-on-girl girl action. We got to seven and nothing happened. Nope. That's why, you know, watching this Love Island. I mean, did you have you seen the sad people on it? Oh, dear God, honestly. Somebody said to me the other day, their parents must be so thrilled. That's the dizzying heights your poor child has achieved. Uh, somebody says, did you notice Amanda Holden's trout pout as her lips seem to have grown? As for boobs, says Peter in Boreham Wood, a bit small, eh? Really? I don't think so, looking at the picture and the dress. Uh, people say it's it's just a little bit, perhaps not not appropriate for the programme she's doing. I don't know if that makes any difference at all, does it? What it's done is it's got loads of coverage in the newspapers. And that's all it's about, I'm afraid. You, you, you're, you're sort of mistaking the fact it's a TV programme. They're looking to get... An audience, people, certain people will tune in because they're hoping she's going to be wearing more revealing clothes and have what they call a malfunction, which is what lots of people do. Richard in the Wirral says, uh, you know, same thing. He says, I know everybody's complaining about Amanda Holden's dress. Not like she's got any boobs to put in it. I think you're obviously watching, the, looking at the wrong pictures. Very mean people are. I think she looks fantastic, actually. And there we go. Somebody said, I think Amanda Holden's terrific. That's from Amanda Holden. Uh, Jane says, Amanda Holden's a great personality. Have you interviewed her? What, are you rude or something? We've never heard this station before. Of course I've interviewed Amanda Holden. We're practically best buddies. What are you talking about? She lives down the road from me. We're always going out for a latte and a cappuccino and a frappuccino, things like that. You know, not. But, uh, no, she was in a short while ago. And uh, I don't know what all the fuss about Amanda Holden's dresses, Steve. I've seen more front than Blackpool uh, than on her. No, seriously, I'm obviously looking at the wrong pictures. Very, very horrible about poor Amanda. It's lovely. Uh, Dan in Essex, I'm disagree. He, d- he said he doesn't seem uh, that dress for Amanda was family show appropriate. Depends what sort of family you come from, I suppose. Um, I thought it was OK. Maybe a little bit revealing. But, I mean, it's, it's only a pair of boobs. You can open up papers every day and actually see boobs. Get a bit excited. I thought you, Dan of Essex, honestly, all of a sudden becoming a bit prudish, you down there with all those people from Towie. I mean, goodness sake, to actually see them wearing something like that would be a miracle, wouldn't it, I should imagine? Those are all the highlights I've got time for this morning. Don't forget, I'm back live from five o'clock tomorrow morning and we'll be with you for the 4am spike all next week too. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.